It's hour three of BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross here. Still plenty more to get to. We've got contest picks for week 17 and, of course, our critically acclaimed lightning bets. But now it's time to talk college football. And joining us now to do just that is Parker Fleming of Sumer Sports. Please make sure to check him out on X at Stats O'War. Parker, the irony is not lost on me that we are having this conversation right as SMU is kicking off its bowl game at the uh, at Fenway Park against Boston College. Uh, you, of course, doing some fantastic work uh, analyzing TCU in the Big 12, in addition to all of your other uh, college football duties and NFL duties at Sumer Sports. So, yes, make sure I will start by uh, mentioning uh, our SMU-TCU uh, friendly, not-so-friendly rivalry between us. Uh, but let's start by talking about the college football playoff semifinals here. We've got Alabama and Michigan. Wolverines are still one-and-a-half-point favorites with a total of 44 and a half and my first question to you is this about this game we look at jj mccarthy and we look at someone who the stats certainly point out can be a really efficient quarterback something where say michigan hasn't asked him to do say a whole heck of a lot but i do wonder when it comes to analyzing what he can do if say a small sample size is almost to his detriment in that there might be a reason why we haven't seen like a massive aerial attack by Michigan. Is that something that maybe concern you uh, concerns you in, in terms of say the Wolverines chances in this one? Certainly. I think uh, for, for two levels, one, I, I we, I, we all know that, um, or Michigan, excuse me, against Alabama is not going to be able to do what they've done all season, which is get a lead and then sit and run the ball over and over and over again um, and just kind of grind the clock down, grind the kind of opponents down. I mean, they had, uh, what was that, an eight-minute touchdown drive in the second half against Penn State there and just kind of, you know, absolutely milked the clock away on the strength of their physicality. And certainly their front, um, you know, their their offensive front is very, very physical, but I'm not sure they're going to be able to get away with that against Alabama. And, um there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, on JJ McCarthy here. And he frankly hasn't had as many reps as you would like, especially against these high quality defenses because the run game is so good and because they can get away from away with it. Alabama's run defense relatively worse than their past defense, 25th in EPA per play allowed um, and uh, 16th in defensive success rate allowed. Now, Michigan, of course, 11th in, in success rate on offense, 14th in uh, EPA per rush, both of those rushing numbers. And so they have been very, very good at it, but there's going to be a huge kind of selection issue. Michigan Michigan is rushing the ball 2.1 percentage points more than the average team given down distance and situation. When you consider that most of their situations involve big leads at the end of games, um, that, that, that certainly heightens. They are rushing the ball a whole lot. Uh, I believe their fourth quarter run percentage was as high as 68% this season. So that's not going to happen. I'm very worried about, one, putting McCarthy in the spotlight when he hasn't had a lot of reps, especially reps in negative situations where he might have to overcome a lead, and two, I'm worried about them having to play full four four quarters of football um, offensively, which is something they really have not had to do all season. It is interesting, and maybe this is sort of a conversation for another day, but this is why you schedule tough opponents in non-conference, right? It's not just about having a resume builder, but it's also being battle-tested. And yeah, I know it's a little cliche in that approach, but we know Alabama was battle-tested because even though they did lose to Texas and they lost uh, rather handily, at the same time, in some ways, that game made them a good bit better, and we saw some real progress by the Tide leading up to this contest. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I, you know, we don't want to go galaxy brain and say, oh, it's good to lose, um, or it's good to have, um, 
you know, struggle against bad teams, which we've seen Alabama do at times this season with mm -hmm. uh, South Florida and Auburn, for example. But I do think that there is something to be said about adversity. And I do think there's something to be said about Alabama's improvement week over week. Um, and not to suggest anything about, you know, Michigan being complacent per se, but just it's hard to, it's hard for me to believe that they'll be able to reach into the well and just pull out this J.J. McCarthy uh, explosive passing game that they haven't been able to really pull out at any point of the season, especially if Alabama were to get a lead. It's very, very hard for Michigan to come from behind there. So as far as what your numbers are saying, how does this game play out? Um, I, I like Alabama plus plus money. I've got this about one, one and a half. I think that that underweights the the Tide's recent um, improvements and kind of how they match up specifically on, on offense, the side of the ball we haven't really talked about, Alabama's offense. Uh, you know, Michigan's very balanced. They're third in EPA per pass, 13th in EPA per rush allowed. Um, but with Jalen Milrow and kind of their, you know, dink and bomb offense with, with his rushing threat of, uh, as well, I, I don't think uh, Michigan has faced a quarterback like Milrow. I don't think they faced a quarterback even stylistic not just in terms of quality as Melrose. And so I think we're looking at a Michigan defense that's really going to um, be faced with, again, something they haven't seen or something they haven't been forced to defend. And I think all Alabama needs is a couple explosives here, get a lead, and then they can actually do kind of what Michigan has done historically uh, this okay. season, which is, uh, you know, kind of sit on a lead and, and just dare the other team to beat them. So I like Alabama plus money. I think you know, Saban, Saban as an underdog is certainly something I'm always interested in. And, and I, I do think that this will be, if Michigan wins very, very close, but uh, otherwise I, I, I would go ahead and say, I think that Alabama uh, will win this all right. Let's move on now to the sugar bowl between Texas and Washington. Longhorns are still four point favorites uh, in this contest. I'm curious whenever we're analyzing this Longhorn attack, because certainly Steve Sarkeesian has gotten really creative. He's gone deep into the bag, so to speak, in terms of, you know, what he did in the big 12 championship game, what he did against Alabama, I thought was really underrated in terms of finally getting into deep throws, something that we didn't see uh, say in the 2022 edition of Alabama, Texas. But I'm wondering in a game like this, like, yes, utmost respect for Washington's defense, utmost respect for this game. But at the same time, you do have to win one more contest if you do get this one. So how do you quantify this idea of, yes, Sark will get creative in a game like this, but he can't necessarily pull out all the stops knowing full well that Alabama or Michigan will be looming one week later? I think especially here, knowing the caliber of coach you're going to face in the in the final, if you win this game, I think you've just got to say we're we're going to do what we can to win this game, and then take care of that. Um, kind of when we when we get there, um, you know, I, I, Texas has been just absolutely abysmal in the red zone and, and and in scoring opportunities on offense. I don't know whether that's creativity, like you suggested, or whether that's Quinn Ewers and processing, or whether when the field gets short, there's just too much going on and they have trouble kind of getting those one read. Uh, looks, but uh, Texas 106th in points per quality possession this season. Um, what bodes well for them, though, is Washington's defense is 100 in points per quality possession allowed. So Texas will have some opportunity to get some of those big play touchdowns, to get some of those finishing drives. Um, and yeah, if they can leave a little in the tank, great. But I really think that what we'll be looking for is trying to twist the knife and really make those opportunities count here to make sure they win this game and then take care of the national championship when it, uh, when it comes. So if Washington somehow finds a way to win this game, how will they do it? Will it be containing Quinn Ewers? Will it be uh, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, you know, playing out of his mind? What do you think is the likeliest outcome if Washington does win? 
I think it'll be the best run defense performance that Washington has had all season. Uh, they are 65th in opponent adjusted EPA per rush. They're 117th in raw defensive success rate against rushes. So if they can stop the run game and uh, and really just kind of you know give some breathing room to their secondary, who's going to be challenged by these just extremely talented Texas wide receivers and tight ends, um, that that's really going to be the path there. I think if they can kind of stymie them as well. Uh, Texas is 17th in early downs EPA. Washington's defense is 73rd. They've really made hay and cleaned up kind of in the second uh, half of series on those third and fourth downs. So uh, early downs and, and preventing those um, explosive rushes and getting a little bit of havoc in the run game is really what Washington's defense is going to need to do here to stop this. Uh, additionally, on the other side of the ball, they're going strength on strength here uh, against Texas, you know, uh, with Washington's offense being fifth and EPA per play, Texas's defense being sixth. Um, but Washington does have a slight advantage. They're better at passing than rushing. And they're, you know, Texas's pass defense is a little bit worse than their run defense. So again, you want to mitigate the big guys up front, especially uh, against Texas here. And you want to be able to get Michael Penix in rhythm, get him some good throws, trust your guys downfield, um, and, and really be able to hit a couple of those big plays. I'll be interested to watch the third and fourth down battle for Washington's offense because they have been excellent there. 51.3% conversion on third and fourth downs. Texas's defense is allowing 28.9. That's second in the nation. So uh, Washington on offense is going to have to get Penix in rhythm early, have to scheme up ways to kind of avoid Texas's strength, that defensive front seven, and they're going to have to figure out ways to convert on third and fourth downs and extend drives when they don't get those explosives. So you still feel like that Texas can cover the four and assuming that's the case, who do you like between Alabama and Texas if you had to say uh, put some sort of spread number on it or say an outright bet? I think... Um, I have I specifically haven't run this, but eyeballing this and looking at it, I think that we're looking at Alabama three and a half minus three and a half for uh, for my line for the final. That's at least where I would open it. Um, I think that it's hard to beat a team twice. I think Alabama is obviously and dramatically a much better team than they were in um, the uh, the first matchup. And Alabama's defense is just really, really, you know, so much better than really what Texas has seen. Uh, this season and that defense has gotten better as well. So I would have slightly lean towards, towards Alabama there about that three and a half range. Um, and I, I would be inclined to take uh, an under, I think, because I'm, pre I'm pretty sure it's going <laughs> to open like high 40s and I'd be interested in that. I'm also interested in, uh, I don't know if I said this out loud, but Texas, Washington, I, I like an under as well um, here. I mean, we're seeing it 64 and a half. I think that we could be you know, in the fifties, very, very easily here in this game in terms of both teams kind of running a little bit more um, and both teams not being excellent at finishing drives. You could see, you could see an under in both games if, if Texas makes it to the championship as well. He's Parker Fleming of Sumer Sports here on BetQL Daily. Let's move on now to some of the other uh, New Year's Six Bowl games. Uh, if, if there is one that really stands out to you, looking at Georgia, Florida State, a lot of defections for the Seminoles going up against Georgia. Right now, the Bulldogs are 19 and a half point favorites uh, in the Orange Bowl. Uh, but certainly there are other big bowls in terms of uh, Oregon and Liberty and uh, Ole Miss Penn State. Which one do you feel like uh, is the best play among those? Yeah, it's, it's hard with, with Florida State and Georgia, both guys opting out, and, you know, even some Georgia players not seen with the team this this week to really have a good feel on that. Um, you, you'd think with kind of the narrative that Georgia could pull away, but motivation factors are, are kind of weird for it being left out of the playoff. Uh, my, my favorite play of the remaining games is um, uh, Ole Miss as a dog. I think you can get that at four and a half. Um, 
still looking looking at an odds board right here live as we're doing it. And yeah. uh, I, I think that they just got a lot of momentum in the portal. They've got some really explosive athletes. Penn State, you know, new coordinators on both sides of the ball, uh, some opt-outs strategically. I really think Ole Miss will be able to, to challenge them in the secondary. And their pass defense is, you know, for, for, for the struggles that Ole Miss's rush defense has, their 57th in EPA per rush, their pass defense is 25th. I think they'll be able to be really disruptive against the Penn State offense that if they get out of sync, uh, really, really kind of struggle. So that's when I'm, I'm super interested in. Um, I thought a little bit about a Liberty team total, but I think that you've missed the bus on that if you haven't already gotten it because it's gotten a little bit high for me uh, just looking at the implied uh, spread and total because Liberty's offense is very, very good. I mean, their defense is terrible, and I think Oregon's going to score as much as they can uh, or as much as they want to, frankly. But I do think that Liberty will be able to draw up a couple plays. You know, let's let's imagine they score on both scripted drives, you know, first first quarter and then out of the first half or out of the second half. Um, and, and then you're looking at, oh, can they break that 20? But 24 is a little bit high for me for, for the Liberty team total. But I think they'll put some points up on Oregon uh, e- even before you factor in, you know, kind of the opt-out and, and motivation situation for Oregon as well. Yes, you mentioned Ole Miss, four and a half point dogs here uh, in the Peach Bowl against Penn State. Definitely, I like that side as well with a total of 48 and a half. So uh, definitely backing the Revs as well. General thought when it comes to bowl season, because I know a lot of people get really apprehensive about betting on teams and maybe have a lot of players in the transfer portal. You don't know which teams are taking bowl games seriously, all that good stuff. And sometimes you can even make fun of teams that are in really, really good bowl games and they're not taking it seriously, or they're just not as good as what we saw during the regular season. I'm curious, though, when we saw the start of bowl season, we saw a lot of comebacks. And so there were a lot of great live betting opportunities. Is that something that you think can be a winning formula going forward in terms of betting on underdogs when they're down, say, a couple of scores or maybe even more than that? Yeah, especially with with strategic positions and watching some of these. Um, I think about the Cal-Texas Tech game where Texas Tech fumbled the opening kickoff. They go down, you know, 14-7, and then they roll off, what, 31 straight points or something uh, there at the end where you thought, okay, I I thought Texas Tech was the better team going in. There's a little bit of negative variance. Let me swoop in and just see if I can get Texas Tech again and and recoup there. So live betting is good. Or you think about the Georgia um, Southern-Ohio game where Georgia Southern just came out and um, evidently it hit the town pretty hard the night before. And, and you, you could see live, you're like, Oh, these guys got nothing. There's nothing happening here. Even Western Kentucky with a passing offense against old dominion, you know, again, old dominion run heavy team, not, not super great. They, they get a big lead there. And then Western Kentucky with uh, a tight end, nobody just starts slinging it again. And, uh, and you can think, Oh yeah. I th- again, I thought Western Kentucky's passing offense would be enough here. It looks like they're kind of coming back. Maybe I can get this before, before the market reacts to it. So plenty of opportunities live. I think, especially with motivation totals really, really matter as well. Um, I I know I was kind of chapped because yesterday, the Tulane game, for instance, 14 points on two plays based off turnovers there. You have a team total 17 and a half and boom, it's already gone, even though it was the right side. So live (laughs) betting is certainly a way you can recoup some of that bowl season variance if you're if you're sharp. Yeah, I, I uh, backed Tulane uh, plus the points there uh, yesterday, and uh, that one hurt just a little bit. Just because I felt like, okay, yes, you don't have the head coach, you don't have the quarterback, but they had all the assistance there, the infrastructure was there, and it didn't work yeah. out. So, and there was a point yeah, in the second half where it was like within – Within seven in the second half, it's raining and gross. Right. I, mean, I was sitting on I was sitting on Virginia Tech minus ten and a half, and I was like, "This is done. No way, we're gone." Like completely uh, over balls, balls sliding everywhere. But uh, it was that was that was a good <laughs> one that was fun, for sure. 
Yeah, I'm happy for you, Parker. Well done. Parker Fleming <laughs> of Sumer Sports. Please make sure to catch him on Twitter at Stats of War. Parker, thank you so much. We greatly appreciate it. This is Beck UL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, our Week 17 contest picks right here on the Beck UL Network. We'll be right back with BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. To spend your time worrying about narratives, I I would be a stressed out individual because I know there's a lot of narratives um, around even myself personally. This is BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM from BetQL. Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel hates narratives. Noted. Welcome back to BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Ed Egras here along with Paul Aspen and Jake Hassan here as we get ready to deliver our Week 17 NFL contest picks. And uh, Paul, general question for you uh, before I reveal mine. In terms of how to attack this week, because I feel like we could see a lot of line movement between now and, say, kickoff for Saturday night and then Sunday because of quarterback news, injury concerns, all of that stuff. Does it make this week a little easier or a little more difficult knowing that we could see a good bit more variance by the weekend? So I have to answer that question by also saying that I sprayed the board hard Sunday night. Like I love hard. I love this. I love this card, but you also will get a stale line. Well, it depends on your contest. Like I I do like something like the Rams, but like I have a contest that closes on Tuesday. So I'll be getting a stale line in that contest. And that's not automatic, especially when you go into game theory and where you are in the standings and what kind of ground you have to make up. Um, Cause mm-hmm. everyone could take the stale line and a lot, how many times the NFL have we seen? Yeah. You get three points of closing line value and you still lose. Um, I think to answer your question, like I definitely want to wait on certain situations, um, but I don't know if it, it makes it, are you saying it makes it easier because you're like, we might find out stuff after the lines have been posted in that regard. And that helps yes. inform your decision. And maybe that's not baked in. Yeah. I, and so it's the same theory. I think, Yes, you can definitely go after those spots. With two weeks left, it depends on your situation, mm-hmm. where you are in the standings, if you want to kind of go with the crowd and or it's definitely not foolproof because it was, it was more so, I think, last year, a number of games that felt like free squares and mm-hmm. went the complete opposite way and lost. So it's it's definitely, you could say it's quote-unquote easier in that you're, yeah, there's obvious spots where you're getting a bunch of, you know, value on the point spread but it's not automatic Mm -hmm. for me yeah it's the clv chasers right who are sort of coming in and looking at a week like this saying well if i can get clv here and there then i i should have a a winning record something like that that's fine but i'm also with you in terms of game theory always mattering whether you're talking about fantasy sports super contests whatever it is like you have to know where you stand and what you need to do going forward but i also think though that like there have been some wonky line movements like we talked about the the chargers broncos uh, a little earlier that one is weird to me because you're dealing with a backup quarterback and somehow that's supposed to gel better with a head coach where there's not a whole lot of experience that we can go off of not a whole lot of data 
that matters a great deal, right? Because what if they don't mesh either? That is a possibility. Like you can't, like a head coach is not necessarily going to take a job because of how well the backup quarterback is going to perform. Ideally, you don't even go to that spot. But if you have to, at least you want them to be serviceable enough. And I think you're kind of buying into the idea that Sean Payton is just that good, that much of a miracle worker, or he's not, and you're sort of overreacting to things. Like, I don't think some of these line movements are just that simple in terms of looking at the backup quarterback head coach connection. That was one where I played Sunday night. Like it's like Broncos are laying. It was the same theory as last week against new England. I was like, the Broncos are laying five yeah. and a half to anybody. Like, and that was with Russ who and honestly still might be an upgrade. Um, at three, I'm not as inclined to play either side. I know a lot of people are coming back and kind of playing the Broncos in that spot. And I, we probably right. saw the Chargers best, like the high end of the Chargers market, the Easton Stick Chargers and Giff Smith Chargers last week uh, in that almost upset mm-hmm. game against the Bills. So I understand it's a little bit of a market play and an overreaction. I think this is just, I, I've, I'm not going to bet this either way. Uh, I don't really feel like backing Stidham or Stick uh, <laughs> as definitely not as one of my five favorite plays of the week. No Stidham, no Stick. Uh Three first letters? Yeah, right. That's weird. Okay. Staying uh, away from Stidham and Stick. Is, there you go. Yeah, no Stidham, no Stick. Yes, none at all. It is very odd that Joe and Aaron are not here, that I am way huh. more comfortable delivering my first pick than I would normally be because I know the grief I would receive uh, Hold from on. that dynamic duo. Can but I guess go real quick? Go ahead. Go Can ahead. I guess multiple picks? Cowboys minus six. Saints plus three. Wrong and wrong again. Okay. Not at all. All right. In Carry fact, on. As the you first were, one is uh, the first one is the exact opposite. I am taking the Lions plus six as one of my top five here. And I am comfortable doing this without hearing grief from the anti-Cowboys contingent who would normally be here on this lovely day. And this is in large part because my model says this should be more like four and a half. And certainly uh, BetMGM is moving down to five and a half. So A, I get CLV. B, the model likes it. So that's uh, the sign off on both fronts. But this Lions offense is really, really stout, and they're playing indoors and, you know, on that field. That should be fine. Intermediate passes for this Cowboys defense, it's actually been a problem. 10 to 19 air yards, they haven't been just fantastic defending those. Now, they have some great pass rushers where the quarterback isn't able to get those passes off, but when they do, linebackers and DBs defending that part of the field, they have not been that dynamic. And so I do think that with those crossing patterns that Jared Goff can complete those, and that's how the Lions will be able to move the ball down the field. Also, too, play action also gives a lot of defenses fits, and I think it will give the Cowboys defense fits as well. I expect this game to play out more like that Cowboys Seahawks Thursday night game that was super high scoring. And yeah, we have a really high total here, but I would go over that if you were looking at that particular play. But I think though Lions plus six is the play that I'm most comfortable with as far as that game is concerned, even though both offenses should be fantastic. Next, I like the Bills minus 12. BetMGM has it at 13, so I get CLV. That's fine. CLV makes the world go round. And look, if any rushing attack 
can challenge that Pats run defense, I think it's James Cook, Josh Allen, and company. Inside, outside, different types of motion. I don't think it matters. They will come prepared. And look, with a new OC and Joe Brady, I don't necessarily think this familiarity playing within the division matters all that much. It is a different offense for Buffalo. So I am going to lay the points. Next up, I have Falcons plus three. Did they figure something out with Taylor Heineke against the Colts? Well, it was the best quarterback performance for the Falcons all year long. Receivers were wide open at the second highest rate. Throws were kept short at just 5.1 yards on average. And almost the highest rate of passes were out in the flat. Degree of degree of difficulty? Yeah, it'll get tougher against the Bears defense, no doubt about it. But I think a quick game can nullify defensive progress. And look, if it's a low-scoring game, then three may simply be too many points. So I'm going to back the Dirty Birds there. Next up, the Titans plus four and a half. And this is something I know we will talk a lot about tomorrow, certainly in week 18 as well. But when we are deciphering who can play spoiler and who's already looking ahead to next season, I look at the Titans and say, you know what? They would like to be spoiler. They're not evaluating things or tanking or whatever. I think they're still going to try and win football games. They are not in evaluation mode. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is they have their quarterback of, say, the short-term future. So there is that. And other guys are trying to keep their jobs or get better deals or whatever it is. And, yeah, C.J. Stroud is back and he's practicing, but we don't know what to expect out of him. And he won't have his full complement of weapons. And so I think the Titans plus the points is the good side there. And then finally, Eagles minus 10 and a half. The Kyler Murray experiment slash evaluation should probably come to an end. Hard to say how much was learned when Trey McBride was the only reliable target. But when you have a chance to push the reset button and get a quarterback on a rookie deal, you probably need to do it. And when you're in week 17 and that's the way things are going, I think the Eagles need to dominate to win the division, get that quality type of play that they need once they enter the playoffs. And that's going to matter greatly to them as they try to make another run to the Super Bowl. So I've got Lions, Bills, Falcons, Titans, and Eagles, Paul. So Lions, Falcons, and Titans are bets I have made. I do not know if they make my top five on the card. I have Lions kind of in the mix. They are not in my final five as of now. Um, but at six and a half, that was one of the first bets I made of the week. I do. The only thing that's holding me back is the spot is the complete letdown mm -hmm. spot after winning the NFC North. Like I thought that was a great point that PJ brought up earlier. That's the only thing that's kind of giving me pause sure. right now, but they can also just hand the ball off 40 times and run it down the Cowboys throats. We've seen that with multiple teams this week, this year. So we'll see there, but my favorite mm -hmm. bet of the week did not make your card dolphins plus three and a half. I love this spot for Miami. Uh, I know there's some injuries there. I know Waddles probably it's looking unlikely that he will play, but this could not be a better spot for the Dolphins. Ravens with the big win, Christmas night. Like it could not have set up any better for the Dolphins. I just think more than like if you're gonna be more than three, I will take the three and a hook and not even think twice about it. And we've seen the Ravens offense just kind of throw duds out there. And as much as you want to talk about the Miami offense, the defense and Vic Fangio has been just playing at an elite level over the second half of the season. And we've seen this Ravens offense sputter. Uh, I think he will, especially, and they still don't have Mark Andrews. I think uh, Vic Fangio will have a plan in place uh, to slow down Lamar and company. So give me the three and a half there. And you could, again, if we're saying Waddle's out and some offensive line injuries on either side, 
couple of good defenses. Under could be look a wor- look, worth a look as well, but Dolphins plus three and a half. Already mentioned it. Giants plus four and a half. Uh, give me Tyrod. I like it's kind of bizarre to me. Like the the writing was on the wall for two NFC East teams. Kobe Brissett gives the Commanders a much better chance to win. Tyrod Taylor, we've seen splashes with DeVito. That was fun while it lasted and all that. But, like, Tyrod mm-hmm. Taylor is a professional quarterback. DeVito hoping to be a career backup, I guess. Uh, but give me the four and a half. I am – I want to say I was ahead of the curve with the Rams because I was on them against the Saints last week. But I sprinkled a little Rams futures. I think this is an interesting and tricky spot. Um, so I'll definitely, it's, it's always giants or nothing here. I don't know if they pull off the upset, but I want the Rams in the NFC playoffs just cause I think they can, they could surprise some people. They could make some noise for sure. It'll be fun. Um, it would be fun. It'd absolutely be fun, especially if they line up against the, the 49ers for the third time this season. Uh, so giants plus four and a half. <sighs> I hate this team saints plus three. I just think you're, I'll take the three on either side of this matchup. And I, I hate the way Derek Carr plays football. I hate Dennis Allen, the way he coaches football. <laughs> I don't really like the Derek Carr propaganda machine either. Basically his brother. <laughs> I, but I can't say that this Bucks defense is fixed. They've been one of the worst passing defenses all season long. Baker's been riding a heater. Now, obviously picking up a lot of comeback player of the year talk. And he's been playing well. I just think if you're giving me through with the Saints, I think Carr could slice and dice that box defense a little bit. So I'll take the three points uh, with the Saints there in this NFC South matchup. These are the two that made the card that I had bet, but I wasn't sure if they're going to make the card instead of the Lions or the Titans. Um, I'm not laying any big favorites, so I will say that. Ugh, the Raiders, plus three and a half. Wow. And here is why. Yeah. The Antonio Pierce thing, it's great. Is this, and this has gotten bet out, I believe, since from Colts minus three. Vegas is number one, rush D, and they're top five versus the pass in the second half of the season. Call it the Antonio Pierce effect if you want, but the, this Colts offense is so hit and miss. They're, they're a frustrating, frustrating team at times as well. And Colts are one of the worst tackling teams in the league. We saw what Zamir White did against the Chiefs, another bad run defense. I don't see why they wouldn't just run it back. And that's what Antonio Pierce wants to do is run the ball. So again, more than a field goal. Okay. I'll take the Raiders as of now. Uh, I do have the the Falcons written down. They did not make the card, but Heineke limited. Uh, they could definitely get, I could definitely get there by the end of the week. I It's the same theory as last week. Um, if you're going to, if I'm going to take the Cardinals plus four and a half against the bears, I don't see how I don't take the Falcons plus three. But again, not on the contest card. Uh, I agree with PJ as of today. And maybe I get back towards like the Falcons or Titans instead of this team. But I have the Steelers right now plus three and a half as a noted Seahawks backer all season. That pass rush is going to make Geno Smith's life miserable on Sunday. And I just can't imagine laying more than three and a half with that team and just throwing stuff at the TV, trying to watch him like take terrible sacks against this pass rush. So as of now, I have Steelers plus three and a half. So all dogs of more than a field goal, kind of shorter dogs. Uh, I'm like, I couldn't get there with someone like the Panthers, even though it seems like the Jags probably should not be laying a big number, like six and a half to anyone right now. But Dolphins, Giants, Saints, Raiders, Steelers. Uh, 
just all all these more than a field goal right now, except for the Saints, like all those. And it's yeah. I will I will take the three and a hook. Wow. I was about to ask if this was a happy accident that they were all dogs or if this was on purpose. Uh it was just my reaction to the board. Just my reaction to the board, okay. all natural. So is BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM from BetQL. Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Paul Aspen, and Jake Hassan here with you. And we will get to our lightning bets in just a bit, which will, of course, feature Thursday Night Football. But first, Paul, you have a hedging opportunity or a hedging question uh, that was brought up in the chat. Yes, so Z Staten eighty four, uh, I guess bet on the Saints uh, to win the NFC South before the season. I believe probably in the two to one range, something like that, or maybe they were, it was them in the probably box a little shorter than that, plus like one eighty five, plus one eighty five, one sixty, something like that. So uh, is now asking if there's a hedging opportunity, and if so, how he should hedge and kind of talk talking about different scenarios like could play a little bit on the falcons uh you could also you know is it, so the bucks basically have to lose out to mm-hmm. um for this to for the either the saints or the falcons to have any chance because the bucks own all the tiebreakers and so basically i think right. my overall short answer is that because the bucks have all the tiebreakers and it's very thin for like a team like the falcons to get there get in there uh, i just say no because there's three teams involved so, like, you try and play a little bit this way, you try and play a little bit this way, and you kind of twist yourself. Uh, and then you're, if you do make a profit, it's kind of a short profit, and you're almost better off just... I mean, the way I look at it, you're basically holding... And it's not this simple, but you're holding a ticket on the Saints. You're kind of... Why don't you just hold on to it? You're basically backing the Saints money line this week with that futures ticket. And then if you get to next week, I guess if you really want to... Uh, you can play the Bucks, you know, play the Bucks money line against the Panthers. Um, I just, I don't see. I just think if there's a couple too many scenarios, it's not like it's A or B. There's A, B, right. C, and I just, I think you're dividing yourself a little too far uh, trying to hedge this situation. Yeah, again, Saints are two and a half point dogs to Tampa Bay. Now, part of this is if the Saints do win outright on Sunday, then that certainly will help the cause and sort of erase some of these tiebreakers. But if the Saints lose, then they're certainly out of it. So any kind of hedging opportunity is more about the outcome of that game, right? And that's that's going to be the tricky part as far as any kind of value that, that you may have. But look, if the Saints win out, then it becomes a coin flip that they do win the division. Now, they need a little bit of help. Uh, but that help is manageable. So I would almost look at it as, okay, if the Falcons are out of it by week 18, Saints are probably still vying for something. So it, it's it's one of those deals where I don't expect them to go one and one. Either they're going to win these last two or lose these last two outright. And that's probably how, how I'll bet on the Saints in week 18, depending upon how this Sunday shapes up. But in terms of hedging opportunities, I'm with you that it does get a tad complex and I think you need to have certain truths or certain axioms going in. And if you make those mainstays, what does this mean going forward? So it, not that you can't do the math, but you do have to say, okay, what the Saints can control only gets them up to a coin flip as far as winning this division. 
Yeah, and as far as like hedging goes, I am probably the wrong person to ask because I am definitely team no hedge to my detriment. Mm -hmm. And I have <laughs> a Pacers in-season tournament ticket in the trash. I have a 49ers NFC ticket in the trash when they blew a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter to the Rams. You know, I there are a number of futures that have been bridesmaids where I've made nothing. So... Uh, you know, but in this scenario, it's just it's a little too divided for for the profit you could make. And again, I I've kind of I think a lot of us on the show kind of agree. Like if it's if it's life changing money, like the Circus Survivor contest, then I would certainly like if someone if I was one of those four people, and maybe this doesn't make me an authentic gambler or whatever. If one if I was one of those four people in Circus Survivor, and even if I had the Browns tonight, if someone if the group agreed, hey, shop you know, half and play for the other half. Yes. Like I'm not overthinking that. Yes. I will take the share of four and a half million, five million, and we can play for the rest of it. That's a no brainer to me. But, um, so in that scenario of hedging, like I would. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I'm with you. By the way, you need to take out the trash. Like if you have a ticket in the trash and you're still looking at it, then surprise it's, it's not smelling up the joint. Mush hasn't said something to you. You know what? The great thing about going out of town for Thanksgiving, she likes to clean. She likes to keep a very clean home. It's very clean in here when I came. Ah. Out. Maybe that's a me thing. Maybe maybe the problem okay. was gone. But credit to her, there's no smelly trash. <laughs> you get out of the way. That's an insane thing. Wow! I came back and everything's so spotless around here. What happened? I left. I've got Paul's the, corner the, over here. The call here is coming from inside chaos. the home. Paul might be a look in the mirror moment here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a hand up, nice. hand up. I'd say organized chaos is how I, I don't know about the organized part of it, but maybe it's just chaos. No, I get it. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Like I'm not messy per se, but yeah, I, I'm a firm believer in organized chaos. I know where everything is. Maybe nobody else does, but I am perfectly comfortable picking out, you know, my favorite pickleball set, which happens to be, uh, you know, three rows behind, you know, my suits or whatever. But it makes sense to me, uh, whether it's alphabetized or whatever. So I, I'm fine with that. Uh, Thursday night football. Uh, the public really loves David Njoku. Uh, they feel like he will really get things going. First touchdown at eight to one. Anytime touchdown plus 160. 99% of the money is on the over 48 and a half receiving yards at minus 115. Certainly that makes a lot of sense. You're expecting Joe Flacco to be a check down kind of quarterback here. Uh, the Joe Flacco 233 and a half passing yards going over that. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Like, as I mentioned before, I think the passing attempts, I think that is much more reliable than, say, how many yards he's going to get, especially if he's going to be checking it down this much. Uh, but as far as these props are concerned, Paul, which one stands out to you the most as far as one that you obviously want to tail, one you obviously want to fade? I get the Njoku love, but, like, how many times do we have to do this where everyone, the entire world is on, like, the most popular prop in the world and it gets nowhere close. So I'll, I'll stay away. I, I do like the, I actually want to go opposite the Flacco. I want to go under, uh, was it 233 okay. and a half? Shocker. I think it's a very, that's right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Flacco, the Flacco fanatics over here. Let me tell you a little something about Joe Flacco. Can we look at his actual numbers, please? All this comeback propaganda. He is down there when it comes to EPA plus CPOE composite. He's down there with the likes of 
Justin Fields, Will Levis. Like, he's keeping some interesting company. He's behind Deshaun Watson. He's not even near Deshaun Watson. Jimmy Garoppolo, Desmond Ritter, Daniel Jones, Gardner Minshew, Sam Howell. That is where everyone's hero, Joe Flacco, is ranking when you're ranking him with the other quarterbacks with some of these metrics. So, like, can we maybe just relax a little bit on couch potato Joe and being this second coming and this career saving run. Maybe he's just the guy that came off the couch. Who's a veteran quarterback that can run the Kevin Stefanski system. That's okay. If that's what he is, but let's relax about Joe, like turning back the clock and being this MVP candidate and everything else that's out there. We're not even going to mention the other award because it's not even a conversation, but as a long way to say, I will take Joe Flacco under, 233 and a half and the Jets plus seven and a half. Maybe he's seeing ghosts tonight against his former team. So come back down to earth a little bit, Joe. We've already seen it once this season with multiple, should have been multiple pick sixes. One guy came down at the one yard line. Let's see one of those games tonight. And Jake, why are you such a believer in Joe Flacco? Oh, we know. Uh, because I'm invested. It's it's just, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm going to go. It's a great bet. Yeah, I also, I I hate to break this to you, Paul. Uh, I'm going to be very against you all the way because I also am leveraged on Baker. So I'm sorry. Well, I've got a piece of Baker. Okay, then we're good. We're synced. No, we're not. We're we're close to good. (laughs) We're not good at all, actually. (laughs) Like, here's my thing. And I just, like, I know, and I I get the bets against. And if you want to make it stats-driven, fine. Like, DeMar Hamlin's barely played, all that. To me, this isn't about, ooh, feel-good story, and you can't talk about anyone else because it's such a feel-good story. There is that aspect. To me, if I'm the NFL, and granted, it's you know more so writers that vote on this, this is about, you want to talk about narratives? This is about the future of football. This guy, it's not, oh, feel-good story, he died on the field and came back. No, it's this guy used his second chance at life to come back and play football. If you're talking about the future of football at a PR spin, like, and, and the NFL cares about one thing, money. The only thing they care about almost as much as money is image. And you can't spit a better image message about the future of the NFL than giving this guy the award. It's never been about the fluffy feel-good mm-hmm. story. It's been about a cold, calculated, ruthless message. The football is this important. It's this important. This guy had a second chance of life and he came back to play football. And you know what? It didn't hurt that Mike Tirico was pointing out onto a national TV audience. Ah, oh, you know what? It's the most important position on special teams. DeMar Hamlin, what he's doing back there. That didn't hurt. Not upset about that. Carry, Mike's <laughs> carrying a lot of water over there. <laughs> no, yeah, I, right. I'm going to be just Cleveland Browns enjoyer. Jake is on tonight with the Flacco position. I also have Stefanski that I, from coach Jalier last week when it was 11 to one. Uh, so obviously that number is way gone. Don't those cancel but out? I'm gonna... I know I'm a cancel out guy, but like, isn't it Stefanski or Flacco? Probably, yes. which is why I, bet I agree Baker. with that. Yeah. Yeah. So like if, totally if it's Baker and Stefanski, like I'm way good on that. But I mean, cause mm-hmm. the Flacco thing was a huge number too. So it's sure. like, okay. So if it's going to be, I agree with you. I don't think they get both. That'd be insane. Like somebody's got to get something for probably the Browns. It's probably Stefanski. But 
I don't know. I'm just going to be Cleveland Browns enjoyer, Jake Hassan, uh, with that one. I will play some Garrett Wilson ladders, though, just because, speaking of Mr. Checkdown, Trevor Simeon's playing in this game. So, feels like it's just going to be a lot of checkdown dump-offs to the best receiver on the Jets. So, I'll play some ladders with Garrett Wilson, too. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. Uh, going over my bets, uh, Joe Flacco over 36 and a half pass attempts, as I mentioned. Brees Hall under 14 and a half rushing attempts. I am expecting this to be a closer game, so I think backing the Jets side would be good. Also, Rutgers minus two and a half in the pinstripe bowl. Miami lost Tyler Van Dyke, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to the transfer portal, so Miami will be a shell of its former self. Also, Rutgers may have the head coaching advantage in this matchup, so give me the Scarlet Knights, and I don't know if I'm ready to pull the trigger yet, but if we're all saying the Dolphins could pull off the up, Upset. I think that helps Josh Allen's MVP chances more than anybody else at 14 to 1. Maybe now might be the time to do it, or tomorrow I still have time. Thanks for watching and listening to BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. For those listening, next up is Jim Rome. For those watching on Twitch and YouTube, stay tuned for the Daily Tip. Take care, everybody.